be Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Way yo 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 yo. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm here. It's Chris Evans. That's me, and I'm joined by Glenn Falkenstein. Hi, it's me, Glenn Falkenstein from the Falcon Screen, and Virat Nehru. That's the first time he rhymed his name properly. So yeah, cool. Cool beans. I, l- I learned my name eventually. Right. <laughs> so uh, Felix Hubble is being Glenn Falkenstein until we need Glenn Falkenstein later in the program. And Glenn Falkenstein is being Felix Hubble. Nice to see you. Uh, yeah, I, Static Vision, the best. Got to rep it. Uh, we're awesome. I spent time between Melbourne and Sydney, but Sydney's the best, so I'm glad I'm here. Right. Yeah, always great to have you, Felix, and I apologize for mispronouncing my own name. It happens. It's great to have you on the show again, though, for real. Thanks yeah, for... No, uh, I'm Kane. Yeah, I ran to Chris in. on the weekend. I was like, yeah, I'm still here. Let's go do it. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. For realsies, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first up, we're going to talk about Lapsus. Then uh, Felix Hubbles. Uh, sorry, I mean, Glenn Falkenstein is going to fill us in about what's wrong with Cruella because we couldn't resist an opportunity to jump into the discourse of the moment again. It's been a big week of me breaking down over my breakdowns over this film. I, we initially reviewed it immediately after having seen it, and there's a lot more we have to cover about what this says about our culture and society more generally. It's all bad. We live in one. I mean, it's true. we don't have to cover <laughs> For it. time. We don't have to cover it, but Glenn Falkenstein, a.k.a. Felix Hubble, a.k.a. Glenn Falkenstein, has a lot of opinions about this film, which were not covered last time around. And I think I have precipitated this meltdown because I tagged him on an article which about, started oh, yeah. this snowballing effect. Well, the Glenn, Glenn was slowly breaking down following watching this film. I wish I'd had more time just to reflect on this movie, but there are amazing pieces in The Atlantic, The AV Club, and Vulture, which go some way to describing just how uh, negative this film is and uh, just how... How, e- how deliciously evil Cruella really is. Yeah, they're commodifying all the good things, but that, we're going to be talking about that later. Cruella is a devil. Oh, dude, that's, <laughs> that was yeah. a rough. I never put it together. That's really smart. Really, really, yeah. yeah, wow. Oh, I got it. Yep, got it. Yep. Disney's but, on one, yeah. But yeah, speaking of commodifying all the good things, we're talking about lapsus. Uh, this movie is about a dude who is kind of like Tony Soprano for some reason who's wandered into a practical effects micro-budget indie film and has to work for a company laying down cables for quantum computers um, and is doing so at exploitative rates in uh, a sci-fi story that's kind of vaguely familiar to what's going on in the real world. Yeah, I I do have to say I always love uh, sci-fi stuff that doesn't get into the nuts and bolts of how stuff works. And uh, this is another one of those films. And I I think it was really like a lot of people derided this about uh, Tenet earlier uh, last year. I think that this was actually... A substantial uh, boon to Tenet. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. I, I don't think uh, films are usually helped by explaining a bunch of complicated sciencey stuff. Yeah, no. let's put in a lot of exposition dump for no reason at all. And because sci-fi, half the time, even in in literature, where it has a, a long tradition of respectability, is often just fantasy. Yeah, you completely. Know? And this is this is obviously just having a little dig at a couple of things that are going on right now. Mm. It's a little bit on the nose. It's a little bit too long. It's also a little bit very cool, I would say. And I don't know, Rab, what's up? How are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very good. I mean, it has very interesting things to say about the gig economy. I think it's very much an important part of our culture and, and zeitgeist. I mean, the fact that we're talking about this is if Ken Loach made a sci-fi film, mm. I think this would be it. 
that, but now, but when but you it would say be better. That, I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. Th- see, that re- for me reveals my issues with this movie. Um, this Fair movie enough. is pretty much a straight metaphor for the way the gig economy is working, where mm-hmm. um, th- these cablers are laying down a bunch of cable that powers these big quantum cube things somehow. Um, the sciencey stuff, uh, you know, you're, you're not supposed to consider it as anything other than a metaphor. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. it's purely a metaphor. Um, Dips its toes into, I mean, I don't want to say who, who shall not be named, but like Caruthish territory at the start when it's sort of explaining what the quantum is uh, in that it's just, it is because it is. And um, it's it's baffling and difficult to comprehend within the five to 10 minutes to actually lean in. But then it right. just dispatches away with that. Yeah, it's like you just, you just, you know, supposed to accept at face value yeah. this is yeah. what it is. Yeah. And then the whole film was not about that. So, so it's about how the, um, the people who lay down the cables are shadowed by these really clumsy practical effects robots. The practical effects are great, but Incredible. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the actual robots are clumsy. Yeah, to the clarify. robots are clumsy. Yeah, yeah. the practical effects are great. It looks so much better than it than it would have if they were done in CGI. Yes. Although, if they were done in CGI, maybe they would have made more sense with the world building of this movie. Uh, but, but I do appreciate the fact that you know we didn't rely too much on CGI, despite this being a genre that could have gone that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it would have made the film look cheaper. I want to know where they got that fucking budget from because it does look like it's an expensive indie, and yeah. there's no there's no like big name actors or anything in it. Um, so either they've pulled off an absolute miracle on a shoestring budget, or there's some some, some backing over it. here. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, but. Um, yeah, they're being shadowed by these robots who follow their path as they lay cable through the woods in New York um, towards these big cubes, and they um, take a rate for each job, and if the robot gets there first, they don't get anything. So the the plot ends up becoming about this sort of um, technological unionization effort to stop these these robots that are shadowing them, and there's some kind of overwritten plot-twisty threads in there along the way. I was interested because you uh, brought up that point when I brought up the Ken Loach comparison. Uh, yeah, when it's get to that, that. What your issue was right. with that? Well, I feel like this movie has this sci-fi metaphorical illustration of you know the roots that like an Uber guy or an, an Amazon delivery guy or um, or warehouse worker might go through. But yep. being sci-fi, I think they had the chance to go really, really brutal. You know, they had mm. the chance to illustrate an exploitation of people on a scale beyond what we see in the Western world today. Whereas I feel like the, the movie is basically just, this is it, here's how it is, but we've made it interesting in an indie movie package by using yeah. these special effects and stuff. Yeah. Like, I want, I want to see the extrapolation version when we're, we're working in a sci-fi universe. You know, like, I, I want to see something more screwed up. I, I do have a differing view on that, because I feel... What the reality is is probably more fucked up than an exaggerated version that could have been shown. Yeah, it's right. Because I like feel like the current reality of like the "sorry we missed you" kind of world right. is more gut wrenching for me to realize that this is what we are going to be destined to. But, that is actually already here. But yeah, there is no dystopian future. We're already living in it. Well, yeah. that, that's the thing when you you think about "sorry we missed you." You know that movie's not sci-fi. That's set in our mundane world, right? But that yeah. movie is absolutely brutal in showing the way that everything can can fall apart. Um, this movie, by comparison, obviously it's going for a different tone. It's got a bit of like the light, quirky, indie mm. movie feel. Um, but 
it, in comparison to something like that, it pulls its punches. So I, I just thought that like dealing with with sci-fi, dealing with an alternate reality, you know, you can bridge the gap into yeah, like I, futuristic. I, I think yeah, I'm kind of with you. Felix, yeah, 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 Felix, yeah. aka Glenn. Glenn, <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think that it does a really good job of demonstrating just how mundane everything is, and like the the real advancement that's going to come over the next five years is not some great you know, avert everyone loses their jobs to the machines. It's just like the tasks are going to get more and more mundane. The stakes mm-hmm. getting paid are going to get like higher and higher, but not in the cutthroat sense in a way that just confuses you. And I, I think it kind of does that really well. What I found kind of interesting about the film, because it is 108 minutes, which is crazy for a film like this, pretty well paced, but I, it feels to me almost like it was written as like a six part TV show or something like mm-hmm. that with a different tone or um, yeah, some focus. of the some of the transitions were quite strange to me. Yeah, I kind of liked it, but then I was also in this thing of yeah, yeah. you got to reset after every twenty twenty five minutes. Yeah, and yeah. In, mentally as to like what's it's basically chapter by chapter almost kind of a and, thing yeah. without it being explicit chapters. And it becomes this kind of like corporate intrigue mystery later in in the. Piece, which didn't really convince me. Oh, that was shit. That was probably shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it convinced me as much as the other bits either, but I did really appreciate how it is so to- intentionally, tonally inconsistent, but I kind of wish maybe it was delivered in a different mechanism. Mm. I've been having a big chat with my partner this week about um, prestige television and how... I think as she, uh, she worded it, uh, Game of Thrones sort of ruined everything because it became about showing the most amount of violence in shows. And you look at something like The Sopranos and it's like you look cracking into like a three-inch thick book that you want to get through. Right. Whereas now we're like reading the different comic that gets released each time. Although um, HBO had a lot of precedent for the way The Sopranos did it with Oz and Rome. Oh, and totally, like that. totally, totally, yeah. So the way that Game of Thrones did it, like, you know, like everything yeah. wasn't always like classy The Sopranos. No, 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 totally, totally. But like I, I'm thinking external to HBO. I'm thinking every show now seems like it's like the most violent thing or I've been yeah. watching um, Halt and Catch Fire this week and it's like this is kind of acclaimed as like one of the best shows that I'm watching. It's like this is just like kind of lower rent madman that occasionally has really good episodes. Um, I'd love to see something like Lapsus as a television show that yeah, has me six too. distinct chapters, it, different tone on each episode, and you kind of come to the end. Yeah, I, I guess, love that. Yeah, so sort of like what was happening a bit with um, the first season of True Detective until yeah, it right. kind of like muddies that a bit. Or, yeah, even like some of the better parts of Breaking Bad. But, yeah, it's it's kind of weird in mm. terms of how the forms have changed. No, I, I think you've got a point. I mean, especially for this film, uh, I liked it for the fact that, you know, we didn't really know, even though we kind of knew where it could have gone and mm. is going, it wasn't telegraphed in a way that, you know, here's what is the intended conclusion. It's well, yeah, yeah, where are we sense. going? Well, yeah. talking about um, the, the kind of transition into this corporate mystery intrigue stuff going on and how we didn't think that worked so well. I kind of felt that like they were telegraphing something completely different. Maybe this is just my fault there, there, as a viewer. No, there is deliberate subterfuge there well, uh, to just, that extent. I think they're trying to have some MacGuffins in there well, to kind of throw you off. But yeah, having heard the comparisons to Carith and Primer, when the movie opened up and we're talking about a quantum computer mm. and then uh, in... And it's the, completely abandoned 10 minutes later. Right, but yeah, we're talking about quantum computers. So I'm thinking, okay how are time travel and or alternate universes going to pop up in this movie? Especially because in the background of one scene, there's some 
back chatter about Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. And then later on, there's this mystery about, oh, this guy has the token of a different person. He's like, I just showed up at work, but now um, he has the, the tracking history of a different person, which means he has access to the more expensive routes that mm. the other people grinding along don't, don't have access to. So I thought that there was some crazy sci-fi quantum twist that was going to enter into it, yeah. and then it's completely not that at all. Nope. Instead, yeah. the film is basically about join your union. You I know, mean, if you don't join your union, yeah. you're basically screwed. It's uh, not a bad message. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's like, I don't know, I, I kind of like that, uh, how frustratingly mundane everything is. I, <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking, though, it would be cool if there was a bit, if it was directing you a little less. Like, there's nothing around, like, conspiracy around him or something that emerges or... All but I also liked how the mundaneness was presented yeah. in a mundane way. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, it, it wasn't an Edgar Wright style of, like, fast edits to I, make Actually, seem... I did think of Edgar Wright a few times. Yeah, yeah like exactly. Yeah. top sound, sound design <laughs> yeah. and uh, Well, they, they, had, they had to... I think, you know, it wasn't as disruptive as it could have been because I would have liked it to be, you know, something like Nobody, which we saw, where his routine yeah, yeah. was done with fast edits, for example. Mm -hmm. Here, the routine could have been really dragged on. I think it would have made more of an impact to yeah. really kind of make I, you feel exactly how mundane yeah, it is. I think yeah. so, too. Um, I, I feel like the plot twists and stuff coming out later in the movie are an attempt to keep it interesting, but it would have been more interesting to commit to that mundanity. But I think there's the, like the fear of really putting you in this case. Mundanity. It's a, is that a word? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Wow, cool. Okay. But yeah, I enjoyed the the scenes of just like hanging out at work and like the, yeah. the hiking and stuff. Yeah, I think obviously for me, I think the thing that hit the best for me was like right at the start of the movie when he just kind of like is getting his uh, fine for parking in the wrong oh, position. Yeah, yeah. He looks up and like the skyline is like littered with power lines that don't really make sense. He looks at the road, it makes no sense. It makes no sense to you as a viewer. And it's like, yep, that's that's what I like. Contemporary I, I world. Being, yeah, I want to be a little lost in that a bit yeah, more. I, but I thought it was really cool. I thought the like, base concept yep. is really cool. Yep. Um, if I can just be boring and kind of attack this movie from like world building concerns. No, sure. no, no, please. I, I wish the movie did more. I mean, I guess this is getting away from what we were talking the about. The movie lapsed a little bit in uh, world building. Yeah. Um, <laughs> about like the mundanity of it. Right. Um, but I wish the movie did more to convince me that the hikes were hard. Yeah, although I was kind of wondering if the hikes weren't actually meant just to be hard. Super easy. It's super easy. It's just mundane, yeah. kind of like robotic work. But from the, yeah. But if this is taking something that's just designed to be read as a metaphor too seriously. But I was just thinking that if if it's this mundane, why not just roboticize it all? Why even have the system? I know they want it to be more efficient, and there's the sense of yeah. you're competing with a robot, and that makes sense when I, I, get, I guess in the increases efficiency, right? I mean, if yeah. you feel like your yeah. productivity is coming down, you just have more competition. In crazy, you know, it's the free market idea. Was, more competition yeah. means more productivity. Yeah. productivity. Yeah. 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 Like Meditech stuff on that as yeah. well. Like Uber, Uber's been trying to get people on board so mm. they can eventually fully automate the place. And then you'll own the cars instead. Right. And I feel like there's a little bit of an extended metaphor with that. But also, and this is like a big stretch, but I think it's going to be much harder for Uber and other companies like that to get rid of their human workforce in terms of public perception. Yeah. And I feel, right. like, I feel like in something like this, maybe it's a value to to the company. I forget who they are, quantum computing, whatever. Yeah. Or like Cabler. Cabler. Yeah, yeah. But like to have people. You, you're there exactly right. Reasons. I mean, like, you know, when I'm, I take Ubers a lot, I mean, yeah. for whatever reason, but I do like having a chat with my drivers. Like I totally. think that's part totally. of the experience. Yeah. If a driver is kind of like boring or, or you know, they want, don't want to chat or they're plugged in into their earphones. Yeah. 
I'll just take a taxi because that's kind of what they do in taxis anyway. So, like, yeah. the reason you take an Uber is because you get a more personal touch. That's it. That's it. And also, like, we've got to look at the history of things here. You've got Walmart employing people so they can shop at Walmart and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Money's got to come into people's pockets somehow so they can pay back into your cabling and your quantum computing. So right. didn't worry me as much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we just say how cool, by the way, Dean Imperial is, the lead? who yep. plays Ray, the main character. Oh, yeah. Chad. Yeah, that guy was so good. He added the, so much to this movie. The, the acting overall in this film was surprisingly good. It was not, good not, yeah. not that I was like expecting it to be bad, but it just surprised me for an indie film yeah. how actually like top-notch it was. The, um, but the performance this guy gives does so much to elevate this film because mm. it could have been a really dry, bland, kind of by-the-numbers movie, but they've picked this guy doing this full-blown character actor performance as like classic New Yorker. With the, like the heavy accent, hey, and like I'm walking the, here. Yeah, exactly. The sleaze core. Yeah, no, he looks great. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the glasses. It's almost like Carl from like Aquatoon Hunger. Yeah, Box or exactly. <laughs> like the wife beaters. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just it's so incongruous with everything else about the movie, but it just yeah. immediately creates a tension by putting this real like movie type character that's out of time in the middle of this contemporary workplace satire and he's a bit of a schemer he's a bit of a con artist he's right out of uncut gems yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah 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 Yeah, very cool film um any final thoughts before i throw to felix our guest to talk about gripes with cruella i i'd like to see um more from this guy yeah um i think he has strong concepts i think he just needs to work out a feature like narrative better or do the six part TV show you're talking about. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with that completely. Mm. But either or, I mean, given what's in the cinemas right now, I think Lapsus is probably one of the better picks. So we oh, highly recommend it. Like if you want to check out something contemporary in the cinemas, something different, it's definitely, Oh, oh yeah. One more thing. Offering. The ending is terrible. It just, it just ends. There isn't any much of a sense of... Um, yeah, but that's also because, of, uh, because of how much of the MacGuffin doesn't work. By that point, you're like, okay, that the whole arc is kind of... I yeah. mentally erased it from or like suppressed it from my mind. Yeah, I guess it's a bit frustrating to just be like, oh, this year is such slim pickings at this point that um, just ignore the ending. But yeah, yeah. I, I think kind of what like it does... 108 minutes, I was like, okay, you know, if, uh, if out of that, like I enjoyed 80 of those minutes, yeah. I'm like, you know, it's still a solid film. So Good hit, okay. right? Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. I would totally recommend going and checking this out. Yeah, sweet. So you're listening to Film Fight Club. Our guest... Uh, Glenn Hubble Falkenstein. Glenn, what's coming up this week at the uh, cinema? Yeah, there's a lot of things coming up at the cinema this week. The German Film Festival is ongoing at all Palace Cinemas. The 10th annual Iranian Film Festival is on from Thursday through to Wednesday. Uh, The Sun Film Festival is happening on Saturday at the Art Gallery, so near the Art Gallery, which you can go check out the Archibald Prize, which is starting as of today, and Kino, are into Kino 156, Sydney Short Film Night. and 22nd of June. So get your flicks in, there's still space. And hey, if uh, Melbourne comes out of lockdown and everything pulls together, maybe I'll be screening Borat at uh, Long Play <laughs> for anyone on Saturday. Oh, nice. We'll see, that's my plan. Cool. Yeah, um, the Philharmonic venue, yeah. which we've talked about, great place. Yeah, we were just having a chat with Glenn before we kicked off about um, issues that have emerged uh, over the past week reflecting on Cruella. My personal take on Cruella, I can't recall like any of it, so <laughs> yeah. I'm going to throw over the Glenn. Good for you. Yeah. Good Rather for you. forgettable. Yeah. 
Yeah, like this movie, like we've talked so many times on the show before about how everything with Disney now has to be superheroes and she is a superhero because they don't recognise her even though she looks exactly the same but sometimes she wears a little bit of a mask. But She has magic clothes sometimes. She has magic dogs sometimes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I didn't didn't realise the mask thing. That's so true. There's so many scenes where she's like got the typical like 1930s uh, radio serial like fabric mask but some with makeup. (laughs) You take a look at her and think... I know you. Like, the whole premise of the film was predicated on the idea that the more bad Baroness doesn't recognise her, which is absurd given the disguise isn't that That's detailed. That's the thing. As Felix said something funny before we started recording about how it was a movie made by a committee for adult children. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> That's the thing. The, the answer to all of these uh, gripes about the movie is like, yeah, well, it's a kid's movie. But it's being marketed and spoken about by adults. Yeah, yeah it's, for it's, adults. It's, it's for us mm. who saw 101 Dalmatians because our parents took us, and now they want us to take our kids. Well, it's a yeah. similar strategy to the live-action Lion King, where it's targeted towards adults who remember the Lion King, who now have kids, so they'll take their kids to it. Yeah, I, would, I do reckon a 12-year-old would probably enjoy it a fair bit. I think uh, so, too. That's yeah. fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, that's not how they've fully marketed no. <laughs> So mm. they're... Due criticism. It's yeah. a PG thirteen in America, which I don't think it deserves. It's, no. it's PG in Australia, but yeah. yeah. Like, and I want to give maybe some that's credit just where, part of the marketing angle, probably. Yeah, Look, totally. I want to give some credit where it's due. I know a lot of people are complaining that she doesn't do a lot of the things typically associated with Cruella. I'm fine with Disney doing a new story. We criticized but studios the, in the past but for doing. We said this that, in the review, though. It splits the difference between this is a new take on Cruella. Everything you knew was wrong. And, oh, here's some tie-ins to the original. It's going to become this. So what is it? Yeah, this movie wants to have everything both ways. It's all its cake and eat it all. I Just to note, also, everyone this everyone has to be related and have part of a legacy. It's so frustrating. It's Rise of Cruella Skywalker. So tell us, <laughs> tell us what's wrong with Cruella Skywalker was. Look, there's, look, there's a fair look. Here's the thing. Disney are the biggest thing in the world right now in terms of movies. They are the establishment. But pretend that they're the anti-establishment and commodify punk. But that's how punk they get of you. all things. They own, they, they own everything. They, they'll commodify everything. But it's, it's shameless. The whole thing with punk is you're, punk rockers do not care what you think of them, what you think. And they, they call out hypocrisy. And this is a film that is trying to capitalize it on is, the history of punk. It is funny seeing Disney do a movie set against the backdrop of the history of punk. But everything cool gets gets commercialized eventually, you know? And, like, I'm not that up in arms about it as some people are because I kind of feel like 70s punk is already so far removed from yeah. the social context. And it's also quite commercialised already anyway. That's what I was saying, yeah. yeah. And any contemporary punk artist would probably love to have it commercialised, because I, it's not. No, well, no I, I disagree with this entirely. Look, you go back to the actual history of punk, you look at Nevermind the Bollocks, EMI, which is a rejection of the Sex Pistols' own attempt to commodify punk, is everything that is wrong with this film. Um, I don't believe Disney are going to do a similar mea culpa. Certainly there is a different types of punk where they do look for a mainstream audience and more general audience would be very welcoming of Disney jumping on their bandwagon. But others who are more in the vein of the Sex Pistols and to an extent The Clash would say no, would look at this with dismay and horror. So there is schisms in the punk movement over this and so, but it would not be a universal thing. Many core punk rockers and many people who just believe the Sex Pistols is the only pure punk band, which is a significant amount of the punk community, would look at this with dis- nothing but disdain. It's Disney. You know, like I, yeah. I, I kind of, mm. I don't know. I think I, like, I had a bigger problem with the representation angle uh, with with the arty character and uh, basically how they, I think it's about time we realize or Disney makes up its mind as to which one is definitively 
a queer character that they can say, you know, because there have been so many think pieces about, oh, wait, Harry Potter. Is it, you know, is Dumbledore queer or not? Yeah. Is this, you know, so it's like, the, which one is actually queer? Can we just take a stand? Because Disney every time keep, it's like, saying you're every flirting the boundaries. Disney you the yeah. first queer yeah. Disney the first character. first queer, no, yeah. No, which no. one is the first Dis- one? Disney want to make money. Things uh, that, yeah, are, yeah, that, that it's I, like, it's, I, it, yeah. It's, you guys it's saw like, in the Paranorman, right? I got a big bee in my bonnet about this. Paranorman, they explicitly have a gay character. Right. At the end of the movie, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I don't want to go on a date with you. I'm gay. Right. They didn't then, like, fucking, sorry, language. Yeah, it's okay. 2011 or something, yeah, whenever yeah. that movie came out. That's, like, Paramount. It's I like, haven't seen it, but apparently Mitchell's in the machine says it now. But that's, Yeah, yeah, they do it as well. Yeah, um, I've yeah. Heard. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't think Disney should be able to market anything off this because it was already kind of, like, past the point of being due by the time of Paranorman yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Disney really want the credit. I just think yeah. Disney, it's just it's just making money and it's just marketing yeah. and what are things that we can commoditize and market yeah. right now? One is like, oh, we're pro-queer visibility and the other is yeah. punk rock. Which is but also an, but it's <laughs> an admission that they're not in yeah, other contexts yeah, as well. True. Which is like just crazy because there's so many films that cater to kids, films that cater to adults, films that cater to adult children that don't ever try and have it both ways and don't the, the, <laughs> Having it both ways is quite yeah. funny. But, like, but actually, like the problem is not even that. The problem is it's not even a representation of the queer community. It's basically camp. Yeah. You know, the and camp, camp. camp doesn't really equal queer in any sense. No, no, it's bad straight camp by yeah. the uh, by the mm. definitions laid out yeah, in the formative just, text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like just to, like we've talked about this in the context of Beauty and the Beast and the treatment of LeFou, and also in the Rise of Skywalker, where they chickened out on having Poe and the John Boyega character have a romance. To be with- fair, that's something that was was not initially written into it. That the actors and the fans made it into a thing. Um, I don't care what the fans made it. The actors were very clear in the nature of their performances. Any regard, I'm, I digress. As regards Corella, um, to qualify something uh, some of the commentary last week, at least on my own part, the character isn't implicitly queer. Um, there's no impl- implication that their arty is queer. It's queer coding entirely. I look back to The Little Mermaid, any other number of other examples. I think the, the argument that this will reach a lot of audiences, a lot of young people who are queer, or would otherwise, if they weren't explicit, I you could potentially be sympathetic to that if this film wasn't also moreover about punk. Punk again is something about the whole film is you shouldn't care what people think, and the film wants you to care about. It. The film wants you to have it always. They want to be representative, but then uh, be able to be accessible to a wider market and make those bucks. So yeah, and yeah, look, I, I, won't, I won't pull any punches here. If you're a person that's like, hey, this movie might tell kids it's okay to be gay. You know, it would do a better job of that. Disney having a character that was like openly gay, yeah, like, no like extremely gay. You know, like, and they won't do that no. because if they do that, um, if there's not plausible deniability, they're not going to be able to release their movies in like Russia or maybe. China, you know. I, I, yeah. think, I think you've hit the nail on the head because I would be happy to accept the implicit quick quoting argument, except they did shoot alternate versions uh, with uh, the scenes with Artie. So there's clearly, they do they did, quite yeah. recognize that I'm not representation. Sure if those released. Yeah. So, but the fact is, even from a shooting point of view, there is clear mm. uh, visibility from their perspective as to what goes out and they want to control that to that extent. Yeah. So, you Which know. Which just sounds like they're boxing in queerness to me. No, but, <laughs> like, but also you know, yeah. I think it's queer baiting to some extent. Totally, totally yeah. it is. And like, yeah, I, again, I think it's better if we just view all these 
apart from Last Jedi, if we view them all as marketing objects and like product That's as opposed it. to to film. That's it. That's it. Until until we see a commercial full on Disney blowjob, I'm not convinced. Yeah, no, I agree. Basically. I agree. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. Like uh, to be honest, I was more. I don't know what that means, but yeah. Ever ever since the uh, Little Mermaid erection. Oh tomorrow. right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Disney peaks. Right, um, but yeah. yeah, that that's it. I can't get that upset by the Disney stuff anymore because I, I just look at it as pure marketing now. You know, yeah. like the, the corporatism has overtaken. Um, you know what might have been once like a, a secondary goal of the movies, like to be movies. Yeah. Now that that's been completely dwarfed out. To be honest, I was more annoyed by the, the Terrence Malick stuff getting burrowed by Chloe Zhao and put into the Eternals than I was by the punk stuff in Cruella. Wait, what? Because it's uh, more, the, the new world style contemporary. beginning. All right, I'm going to yeah. look this up on my phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's been reported on, but yeah, just by chance I saw a, a video from Criterion's YouTube channel that just floated yeah. to from my recommendations with like Chloe Zhao and the new world and it opens up with her talking about how much she loves the opening of that movie with the ships arriving and the yeah. native people and looking that's, out in that's wonder. In, that's in the trailer. And then next week I watched the trailer for The Eternals opens with native people looking up in wonder as like the ship arrives <laughs> right. with the Maliki camera. I was like, all right. Yeah, yeah. But but, um, you, you know, I don't know, because unlike punk music, that's something that hasn't filtered down into just being like pure marketing yet. Yeah. You know, but anything that's artistic and cool will be commodified and Disney will probably be behind it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, I don't know, I was having a big chat with uh, Connor, which is the uh, friend of Felix who programs Sake Vision. I'm Glenn, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Connor Bateman, great guy. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, been on the show before. Yeah, yeah. We were having a chat about um, uh, All Light Everywhere because it's copped a bit of criticism today for being like Harren Faraki light. Mm. And I don't have an issue with people ripping stuff off and doing stuff like that. And in, in the case of something like All Light Everywhere, I think it's kind of okay to do Harren Faraki light because you're doing an independent film for like a wide audience. But yeah, when Disney's like That's it. Sp- specifically aping stuff to make money off it, as opposed to a small film kind of getting inspired and doing their own thing. It's more annoying. It's really annoying. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And it's there's also a huge difference this is like a conversation for another day but there's a huge difference between like duplicating a shot as um as like a bit of a tribute versus duplicating a shot because you think it's cool and will make your movie sell better versus duplicating the tone of something because you really like it and kind of want to exist in that universe and yeah from what you've described with the the eternals it definitely sounds like this one's going to make people repost it on twitter out of context <laughs> like not you aren't supposed to realize this has been taken yeah, yeah. i think i think you're not supposed to realize and it yeah. it's just it's just it's inevitable but it's still depressing yeah totally yeah totally so that's uh disney and Corella are our, uh just jumping back into it yeah because they're always more to cover yeah, Absolutely. yeah. I believe we're going to discuss one more film very briefly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Gopalil. We caught this. I, I don't really have much to say. I feel like I, I, it's look. It's it's a very by the numbers kind of film. It's very talking heads documentary. The the only reason I sort of enjoyed it because I it was educational for me. I didn't know right. much about the subject, so uh, for for me, just knowing about his life and you know where he's placed in Australian history mm. was very informative. Whether it was interesting as a film, as a filmmaking kind of endeavour, not really. Yeah, look, I've already seen documentaries and know a bit about David Gulpilil already, so I didn't really take much from this film. I feel like as a documentary, it was poorly made. I feel like there was not much flow... Um, in terms of the trajectory of the story. It was just purely talking heads. But, it was, but, it was but, very sad. But like, there's, not even there's clips of Gopalil's one-man show, which looks terrific, I, and it yeah. makes you wish that you'd watched that because then you would have had more of a sense of an overview of his life 
this movie promises to give you that, then sort of abandons that, and then drifts back into um, more, yeah, more, sort more of, of that later hedge, on. Hagiographic kind of, yeah. yeah you hear you hear the same facts over and over again. It just felt like it was not cleanly structured. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it could have done well from the archival footage because I think some of those scenes, yeah, incredible, were, were, were beautiful. And but they want to go more in depth on everything. And the fact is, they were telling a story by themselves. So even if you could somehow restructure, put together in the, on the edit table all the archival footage you had, and put it together in a way to tell a story, mm. that actually could have made a film really, you know. There was a film in there. The thing is, yeah, there is a really interesting story. Gulpal is a fascinating figure, and when you're talking about him, it opens up so many angles about Australian history and culture and the way that um, Gulpal... Because he's more interesting than anyone he, who's talking he's about him. <laughs> the, the, the fact that he had almost no exposure to white society when he entered into filmmaking, like that, yeah. that in that itself was, is that fascinating, was, right? That was, uh, yeah... That, the, it, you know, the section of the film me. Yeah. talking about that is the most interesting part, but we don't go into it with any depth. Um, it feels really padded out. It has the the context that he's been given a, a cancer diagnosis and he's dying, yeah. and now he, I'm talking back over my life. But you, um, you know, my what, what what my real hot take is what uh, the reason that section is padded out is because probably the Australian film industry is slightly afraid to look into itself. To examine yeah. some of its own attitudes. Maybe. Sure. This is an ABC and Screen Australia backed production. Yeah. So yeah. you're probably so right. So it's a bit more palatable. Don't it's made. Boats. Yeah. 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 This does have the, the tragic image of um, the camera crew behind a, a wall where, you know, because of COVID restrictions, they can't be in there with Gulpalil anymore because he's immunocompromised. Yeah. That, but that, that has so much more power than anything else dealing with his cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of static shots of Gulpalil with some artsy composition. Yeah, there's just not actually much to this. I was expecting a lot more, and I was expecting some new angles. And beyond the, the timeliness of his cancer, which, again, isn't really It, it kind well. of made me feel like it was a cash-grabbing opportunity because it's cashing in on the diagnosis. I mean, that's a very uh, cynical take. I know, it, it I, is very cynical. I, but I think because, it's more like, let's record something while he's still here, which, uh, you know... Which I'll, also I, is, like, not the correct reason to just well, make a film. Well, I think he wants to do it. As he said, he says in the movie, like, I want to tell my story. Oh, no, I know. No, he wants to do it, and he's definitely a great subject for it. He's, yeah. But, like, the, the people the around filmmaking, him... filmmaking, there's no... Yeah, they had, they had nothing vision. to basically come with to him for a story angle or even what they wanted to say. Because by the end, I was like, okay, what is this film trying to say? You know, have we not heard something? Or why this story now, apart from the cancer diagnosis? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> your answer. But yeah. yeah, I just wish there was more of a, a logical through line to it. I wish that any of the things that are brought up in this movie were explored in depth instead of, like a lot of documentaries you watch these days, there being just so many atmospheric shots padding it out, trying to create texture. But, you know, like I, I only found out in the in the credits that the Aboriginal art we're seeing throughout the film is his. I'd forgotten that he oh. was a painter, right? Okay, yeah. Would I you have liked to, hear, to see him making yeah, paintings I, I, or, or I did, I didn't know talk that. about that, right? Yeah, yeah. There's all these interesting things that just aren't explored. They're great paintings. Yeah, they are. I mean, that, that's just like I'm having an epiphany right yeah, now, as right? you told me, because I was like, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're right? fantastic. Is this the um, only Gopalil doco that's getting made? Wasn't Rolf here doing one? The, the, another country. Is he doing it his own? I think he was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. At some point, that was going to be completed. 
um, once he'd passed or something. Right, okay. I'm yeah. sure that'll be more I'm interesting. Curious about he, well, yeah. he's credited as like an executive producer or something on this. So right. I wonder if this is... Maybe it's this, this Maybe is this project. is it. But yeah. I feel like wow. if he himself were making it, he would do something much better. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he just has much better filmmaking yeah. strengths. Um, I, th- I think the section... This film, yeah, the I section think. I liked the most, like I mentioned, was the section about... Walkabout uh, and the, the origins yeah. of his acting career. And, and also just his own experiences with the film industry. Mm. And I think if the film just explored that... There's just not enough of that anything would be, that grabs yeah. you. It's just like, it basically feels like a summarized pastiche of a Wikipedia article. Uh, but a with a lot of uh, yeah. artsy, artsy yeah. shots. Yeah. A lot of gulp lils. That's the one gripe I have uh, for filmmakers out there. Please don't just make something artsy because it just wants to be artsy. I mean, well, just the, do something with it. It's more that, that you're doing something artsy because that's what you do. Yeah, like I, it doesn't feel like this. It, it just kind of feels like it's it. like you know, it's just a wannabe Terrence Malick inspired sort of thing. Like, uh, oh, you know, the Chris Tommy twenty four frames idea. Uh, if I just use composition and frames, and you know, four frames is amazing. I know it is amazing. I know, but it, people take the wrong thing out of it. It's just that kind of level of inspiration by taking it that, but not doing much with it. it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even talk about it in the same sentence. To be honest, there's there's no. There just wasn't that much thought. I thought either Gulpil no, would look good here. This will be a nice Gulpil. You stand in the corner of of the frame. No, I, I think like they were trying the to do that. With, no, I brought up that comparison because I think they were trying to do that with the, with the artwork of his that they were trying to show right. throughout his paintings. Mm. I think a bit of that was inspired from like. We're gonna have slow, long takes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. as but if again, each frame is telling a story. Again, they're not even but not well really. used in the film. But yeah, but it's, it's just exactly. rambling. But anyway, that's my Namely Skullpool. Great subject, not a great documentary. Um, there is still a great documentary about him that should be out there. Yeah, this is not it. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Let us know what you want us to fight about. This has been Glenn Falconstein, Glenn Falconstein, Chris Evans, and Rat Nehru. Absolutely, that's and, me. And Glenn Hubble? Yeah. yeah. I, I Felix, lo- Felix Falconstein's Felix awesome Falconstein. Felix Falconstein. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show once again, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me once again. Yeah, awesome. yeah. All right, guys. Take care. We're out.